Today's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7b through 10. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. So good to see all of you this morning. Thank you for being here. This is our fifth and final message in a five-part series that's called Most Quoted Bible Verses Not in the Bible. Uh, so these are, are verses, phrases, sayings, things that, that people might think are there in the scriptures, but in fact they are not, or they are misquotes of passages from scripture. And so in the first week, we had the saying, God helps those who help themselves. As we learn from so many Bible stories, as well as from Jesus' life, death, and resurrection himself, God helps those who can't help themselves. That's what grace is about. That's what this gift is. That's um, God's interaction in our lives is uh, to... to be there to help us, to assist us, uh, and to save us, rescue us when we couldn't do that ourselves. Week two, we uh, heard the saying, money is the root of all evil. Who's heard that one or used that phrase? Yeah, that's um, in a Pink Floyd song, in fact, uh, if, you, if you know that one. Um, money is the root of all evil, but the saying is actually uh, in the Bible, but there's missing a few key words, and that is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Big difference. Money itself is just, it's indifferent, it's inanimate, it's, uh, but it's a tool, but it's the love of money. It's where our heart at, is at in accordance with whether it's money or other things in our lives, resources, and that. It's where our heart is in relation to those things that actually matters. Week three, we heard the saying, this too shall pass. How many of you have heard or used that phrase? Right? It's, it's something that um, people use a lot of times to reassure someone when they're going through a really difficult time. Well, this too shall pass. We heard the wisdom of Solomon. We looked at like Ecclesiastes and, and how Solomon, uh, this wise person, the king of Israel, uh, had this incredible wisdom and knowledge, and he talked about the impermanence of things. And, and not really in, as a good thing, but as a, a fleeting thing, the fleeting things of these life. And he, here was a person of material abundance, and he just saw it was all fleeting and all going away and had no meaning. And so we, we know there's an impermanence to things, both good and, and bad and otherwise. But 
what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us when we're in the midst of something? Just thinking, well, this, this will be over at some point doesn't really help us in the midst of what we're going through. And that is where God's comfort, that is where God's mercy, that is where God's presence and love help us is in the midst of those things that we may be going through. And so we know that God helps us and meets us in our difficulties. Week four, we had the saying, this was last week, cleanliness is next to godliness. How many of you have used or heard that expression, right? It's a great one to use with the kids to get them to wash their hands. Cleanliness is next to godliness. This is, actually comes from a sermon by John Wesley. John Wesley was a pastor. He's the founder, considered the founder of the Methodist Church. And in a, in a message, he was talking about actual cleanliness and, and clothing and keeping that clean. And he said, after all, cleanliness is next to godliness. In the scriptures, in Jewish tradition, we hear at times a lot of talk about clean and unclean. And certain things were considered clean and certain things were considered unclean. But this became uh, something that was almost oppressive, almost something that separated people. And so when Jesus came along, he broke through those barriers. He uh, ate with sinners and tax collectors, and the religious leaders said, why is he doing this? Why is this rabbi eating with sinners and tax collectors? Because they were considered unclean. He reached out and he touched those who had this horrible skin disease, leprosy, and healed them. Lepers were considered unclean. And so Jesus, Jesus connected with, Jesus embraced, Jesus loved and healed those who were considered unclean. And on the cross, we know that is, that is the greatest uh, place of Jesus reaching out and cleansing all of us of our sin, of our brokenness, of our unrighteousness, and connecting us back to God. This week, our final week, we look at the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. How many of you have heard or used that one? Yeah, I hear this one a lot. God won't give you more than you can handle. How many of you have played Jenga? The, yeah, it's a game with the blocks, right? So you've, you've got these, all these different block pieces that are set in threes across and then perpendicular to that and on and up they go. And it makes this nice, neat, solid tower to begin with. But then the game is one that has really two objects depending on how you play it. Uh, the first uh, uh, objective is to try to Take out the pieces and make the tower out of those pieces from the tower and make the tower as tall as you can. That's if you're playing cooperatively, you know, with friends, family, whatever, and you're, you're wanting to see uh, how many levels high can we get it. And as you take these pieces out, of course, the tower gets taller, but the base gets more and more unstable. Then, for those of you who are competitive types... We, uh, we have uh, the, the idea that you don't want to be the one 
during whose turn the tower collapses. You don't want to be that person. So there's one loser. I guess everybody else wins, right? But in the competitive version, there's, there's definitely a loser, and that's the one who, on your turn, it collapses. Life can feel like a game of Jenga sometimes, can it? Only it's not a game. It feels like we're taking out the, the pieces of our lives and then they're just getting stacked on top of one another. And, and things just keep stacking up and stacking up. And as they do, the other pieces of our lives, the, the things that we, we rely upon, the things that have a, a solid base to them, just feel like they're getting more and more shaky and unstable until we're at the tipping point. We feel like it's just going to fall over and everything's going to collapse. And sometimes it's at that point where someone will say, or you'll try to reassure yourself, well, at least we know God won't give you more than you can handle. Trying to be helpful. But when you're in that situation, when things are piling up, it is anything but helpful. And it's not in the Bible. Thank heavens it is not there in Scripture. Not the passage, not even the idea of that. And yet people think it is. And, and if, if we think it's in the Bible, then God must have said it. And if God said it, well, then he must mean it. It must be true. And that means if, that whatever I'm going through, that it must not be more than I can handle because God said he wouldn't give me more than I can handle. But it sure feels like everything's about to tip and collapse. It sure feels like it's more than I can handle. And then we begin to wonder, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I deal with this? Why can't I handle this? Why can't I, why can't I deal with what is going on in my life? And then we start to wonder about God. Doesn't God love me? Why, why is God allowing all of this to build up in my life? And then we may even wonder, is God really there? Where is God? I love one response that I've heard to this passage. Somebody says, God won't give you more than you can handle. And they say, well, then I wish God wouldn't entrust me with so much. The reality is, thank heavens, that this is not in the Bible. It's not found there. What it is, is a misquoting of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. If you've still got your Bibles there with you, I invite you to uh, turn to 1 Corinthians. So it's the book right before 2 Corinthians, from where our passage came today. It'll make it a little bit easier to find. Uh, it's the first letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. And in verses 12 and, and 13, or just in that passage there, but in verses 12 and 13, Paul is um, trying to give the Corinthians, the, the church there, the believers in Corinth, warnings from Israel's history. Just to caution them not to become conceited, 
not to become too sure of themselves because it's in those times when something just may come that challenges you. And he's talking here about temptation. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. So any temptation that comes your way, it's, it's not going to be anything that somebody hasn't dealt with in the past. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So here is a promise. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. This verse is about temptation as well as God's provision and grace within temptation. But it's not about the challenges and sufferings that we deal with in life, illness, loss of a loved one, difficulty in a relationship, any of those other things that tend to pile up and pile up and pile up. And this passage definitely does not communicate that God won't give us more than we can handle. There are seasons in life when we will have more than we can handle. And we're not meant to bear those seasons alone. So what is God's word for us in difficult times when one thing just seems to stack upon another, upon another? Well, here, let's turn to the second letter to the Corinthians, the passage that was read from today in chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul here speaks of a thorn in his flesh. Now, he doesn't define what that thorn is, and there's been speculations about what that thorn might have been uh, from people and scholars and theologians throughout the centuries. Maybe it was something uh, physical that he was dealing with, an ailment, uh, some sort of chronic issue. Maybe it was a, a psychological issue. Maybe it was a relational issue. We don't know what uh, that thorn in his side was. But he said it plagued and tormented him for some time. He goes on. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to, to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Robert Kloska writes a blog called From the Side of the House. Uh, this is an actual place. This is the side of his house where he writes uh, this he may sit down to write this blog, but this is also a place for him to reflect, to pray. Uh, this is a place where his family uh, can gather, sometimes just to, to sit and, 
and be on their phones together. Uh, sometimes it's a place for gathering with friends and neighbors, um, but it's, it's a place of, of meaning and significance for him, for his family. And so that's what he calls his blog. On that blog, uh, Klaska describes himself as a Christian, a husband, a father, a son, a servant, a seeker, and a survivor. Robert, or Bob, or Bobby as he is sometimes called, taught theology for three years. He taught philosophy for another 17. He's had cancer three times and has been chronically ill since 2003. In a recent blog, Bobby shared some of the details of his illness. Weakness of voice, difficulty breathing, aches and pains, a feeling of malaise that can lead towards sadness and depression, a mental fog, which is really a, a challenge for him. He was a voracious reader, and he's hard-pressed to think of a single book that he's read in the last few years. Forgetfulness. He recalled one time where he even forgot his wife's name. Didn't forget her, but he just couldn't, couldn't recall her name for a while. He writes, I just can't move at anywhere near the pace I formerly moved. I'm slow. It's hard to describe how profoundly frustrating this is for me. I'm a guy who desperately wants to change the world, and mentally I can't even cross the yard. And then, much like we see in the Psalms of David, his prose goes from one of despondency, of crying out, to one of thanks and praise, recalling how good God is and has been. He writes, yet I know that this is all good for me. I speak the truth when I say that I am profoundly grateful for this suffering because of what it has yielded spiritually. It has brought me much closer to accepting all the gifts that God wishes to give me. Without all this, I wouldn't turn to God like I, I do now. I wouldn't appreciate his love even to the limited extent that I now do. He talks about how his work incredibly, even despite his, his illness, his being exhausted, uh, dealing with all this, how in his work, uh, his work has seemed to be more fruitful. And finally, and most importantly, he says, he has connected with his wife and his children in a more profound way. He writes, I am convinced that these blessings all flow from the suffering. The suffering makes me turn to Jesus in a more desperate way. It makes me call upon the Holy Spirit, not occasionally, but constantly. It makes me thank and praise our Heavenly Father with much more joy. Yes, I am truly grateful for the suffering. Paul writes, when I am weak, then I am strong. 
It's counterintuitive. But it's true. Maybe you've discovered this. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of, of things constantly piling up and, and the base seeming to get weaker and weaker, when things are about to tumble or maybe they do collapse, it's in those times where we are weakest, where we do not and cannot rely on our own power, that we can be most aware of the presence and the power God. Perhaps in our heart, in our spirit, maybe it's, it's through someone else. Maybe it's as a part of community that surrounds us. But it's not, uh, often not until those points where, where we are at our weakest that we then can be most aware of the power and presence of God. When I am weak, then I am strong. We have no better example than Jesus. Jesus, who took on human form, who, as it says in Philippians, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but instead humbled himself, becoming a servant, becoming weak, entering into human frailty, being susceptible to, to physical ailments and difficulty and pain and suffering, but not just physical, but emotional, psychological, spiritual, knowing that that pain, that suffering, that weakness. Here is God who, who wouldn't have to do that, who, could, who is almighty, all-powerful, and yet he took on human frailty and weakness. And went to a cross. And there on that cross, suffered and died for our sake. Seemingly destroyed, defeated, and yet in that moment of greatest weakness was where our life and our salvation begins. Because Jesus was raised again by God the Father. And through him, we have this newness of life. Through his weakness, through his suffering and death, God showed us what God's love is like. That, that it's not something forced upon us, that it's not something that is going to be glorious and almighty, but it's, it's something that's evident right there in the strangest of places and yet in the most powerful and unique of ways. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God entered in and became weak to show us his power and strength in all times, in all places, in all ways. Wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with, it's something that God can enter into and walk with you through.
You don't have to rely on your own power. God's power is there in your weakness. Next week, we're going to start in on a series called Hope at All Times. And um, this, is, this is a message that we can trust in God, that we can have this hope in God at all times and in all circumstances, in all situations, that, that we know that, that we can have and we can live in this hope. Next week, um, I'm going to continue kind of this thought and this discussion about how God enters into these difficult places and these times of challenge and trial as we talk about an anchoring hope in times of despair. So I invite you back uh, for next week and for that, that whole series as we talk about the hope of God at all times. For now, let's pray. Merciful God, your power is made perfect in weakness. Remind us when we are feeling overwhelmed that we do not have to shoulder our burdens alone. Rather, may these be times when we learn all the more to lean into you, to accept the help of others, and to grow from the challenges. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who entered into the midst of human weakness and there revealed how your power works, forgiving sin, breaking down walls, and reconciling all things unto you. Amen.